I'm Zoe Weinberg, and this is Next in Foreign Policy, the podcast where the next generation of national security and foreign policy leaders talk about the issues of today and tomorrow. This week, we're joined by Maggie Feldman Pelch, the founding partner of Unicorn Strategies, a national security focused consultancy. She is also the founder and former CEO of NatSec Girl Squad and a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council's Scowcraft Center for Strategy and Security. Maggie, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. I'm I'm so excited to come to you from the cave that is my house. (laughs) (laughs) So Maggie, take us back to the beginning. When and how did you first become interested in foreign policy and national security? It's a good question, and I wish that I had, you know, kind of a cute, concise answer for you. But that's not real life, right? Um, and and you'd think the number of times that someone has asked me that, I would get to a point where I had a cute, concise answer. Um, but for better or for worse, all I ever have is the truth. I try to like make it sound better than it is, right? Um, but the reality is, I I didn't take a single government class or poli sci class in undergrad. Um, I went to Wesleyan University. It's like something that within the first 10 minutes of meeting me, people typically find out. Um, and I made up my own major and studied theoretical economics um, and sort of doubled in music um, and thought when I graduated that um, I would at some point in the near to medium future would get an MBA um, and ultimately work in corporate social responsibility for luxury consumer brands. And like, clearly that's exactly what I'm doing right now. Right. Um, And the reason that that is what I wanted to do um, came down very much to understanding, like, how do you make the world a better place? What are the options available to you? Um, How do you use the systems available to you? Um, and I knew that to get into a strong business program, right, you should work first. Also, I had uh, finished an undergraduate thesis and like I needed a minute. <laughs> so um, about 36 hours after I graduated, um, I came down to D.C. with my then pet hedgehog, Matzabal, R.I.P., um, and started out like a lot of people did then, hopefully less now, um, as an unpaid intern, right? We're doing a lot less unpaid internships these days, thank goodness. Um, and I started out as, as an intern um, at a small yet incredibly mighty think tank um, called American Security Project. And I remember on my first day, I was one of like 15 interns. Um, and I remember starting and sitting at my computer next to somebody who had not just an undergraduate degree, but a master's degree in a, in a very specific area of focus uh, in water security. And not that water security is not important, but you know, I didn't go to school in DC. I hadn't spent time here. I didn't grow up here. Um, and I was like, wow, you can, st-. I like, didn't really know what it meant to not go to a liberal arts school, basically. Um, so I was with over a dozen other interns and they were all writing and doing these blog posts. Um, and were really good at presenting themselves as, as like senior experts at the whopping old age of 21. Um, so much life experience. <laughs> um, and I'm a terrible liar, as we've already established. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'm not qualified to be like writing and having opinions on these things, um, which is also kind of funny. Um, and at the same time, the then CEO, um, General Stephen Cheney, didn't have 
like there wasn't somebody sitting in front of his office, right? And and to know him now, there probably was no one ever sitting in front of his office. The man like made coffee for the whole team every day. Um, and so I walked into his office like pretty unannounced because I also have a limited understanding of social norms and was like, hello, you have me as, you know, labor uh, for at least the next three months. Um, how about I be like the front desk person and like the operations person? Because like no one's going to read my blog posts. I'm not sure anyone reads blog posts to begin with. Um, and to this day, it remains unknown um, if he was like actually interested in the support or just wanted me out of his office. Um, and he quite kindly said, sure. Um, and I loved it. I was also bizarrely good at it. Um, and the it that I'm talking about was getting things done. Um, I've always been very good at getting things done. And I really found um, my home, right? My, my, not maybe not like intellectual home. I mean, in many ways, yes, intellectual home, but um, a part of like my professional home in realizing I, for lots of different reasons, spoke like pretty fluent military and also spoke relatively fluent civilian and was an excellent uh, translator and interpreter. And like I said, I'm, I'm really good at getting things done. Um, so while I started as an intern, I stayed for several years um, and ended up working for him and, and for the board of the organization. And I think that is quite honestly what got me interested in national security um, because I had the most incredible bosses, mentors, sponsors, uh, I think almost anyone could ask for. I also think as a young woman, um, was crucial and their rules and expectations for me were so clear and the rules were pretty limited, um, that it gave me the space to find what I loved. Um, and I never imagined that this many years later, I would, you know, live and work in Washington that I wouldn't have gotten the MBA. Uh, I did do like this, you know, year long Harvard Business School thing. And that was part of why I was like, oh, maybe I should not <laughs> get the MBA. And, um, and yeah, it, it was an accident. But I guess I'm, you know, the joke in our in among friends is that I'm a cockroach for democracy and national security institutions. Nothing can kill me. <laughs> and I and I love your almost kind of circuitous way of getting there. I think, you know, something that you said that I really resonated with is this ability to get stuff done. And I feel like it's really rare to find that quality. And, you know, you could probably apply it to so much of what you do. Um and maybe we'll do in the future. And I think that type of quality also really leads well to the founder mentality. Um, and probably is one of the reasons why you were able to found Matt Seckerl Squad. And so could you tell us a little bit more about what the organization is, what inspired it, and a little bit of um, your journey to get there? Yeah. And I mean, I'll also say one thing, like the circuitous journey that got me to where I am um, I won't go into the, like, you know, it's never what you think it's going to be. Cause I hate when people say that and like true, but one of the things, um, like, yes, I am who I am, but I, I think a lot of what enabled me to build not set girl squad, um, and many other things, um, 
is in addition to being who I am and kind of innate verse and personality is coming from a liberal arts undergraduate education. Um, it is a crucial part of who I am and how I see the world. And I think it is something that is not valued the way it needs to be in the national security and foreign policy community. I think the obsession with pre-professionalization and idea of expertise and something quite specific from an early point in life um, is significantly detrimental, right? I think it, it. I think it's eroding our institutions. I think it's eroding our ability to be effective. All of these things. Um, so, I mean, that's like kind of half my answer to the founding thing. Um, it informed and enabled me to kind of build out or have some sort of framework of how I see the world and what my responsibility and role in the world is. Um, and that's another part of, of NatSec Girl Squad. Um, the kind of really like tactical reality. Um, as I mentioned, I had, you know, these incredible bosses and sponsors at ASP, many of whom I'm still quite close with. <laughs> um, and they are all men. And it was actually them that said to me, um, on a number of occasions, there were a, a few interactions that really stuck with me, um, that said, you know, we support you. We want to see you be whatever and whomever you're going to be. And we have your back, but your experience is going to be different than ours. And part of that is because they're all retired senior military. So of course they're kind of like on a glide path at the age of 18, which I was not, but, um, they, they were a big part of the chain of events that led to the creation of NatSec Girl Squad. Um, it was them pointing out to me from a really early point in my professional development that they would do whatever they could for me, um, as long as I asked, uh, but that it would be an inherently different experience and that I would need lots and lots and lots of support um, because everybody does. And I would need a different kind of support that no matter how hard they tried, they could not give me, right? They have never been a civilian, purple-haired, you know, culturally other lady <laughs> in national security. That was just like not who they are. Um, and so it was a, a few of those conversations in particular that led me to start reaching out um, to the many, well, relatively few now, but to me at the time felt like an enormous number of actually nonprofit organizations. Um, and pretty much all of them at the time focused on women in foreign policy, which is quite different than women in national security and defense related siblings, but not twins. Um, and what happened was I, I was reaching out to these organizations and their members and saying, um, you know, I'm, I'm not in government. I'm not in the military. I don't think I want to be a diplomat. I don't think I want to work in international development. I don't want a PhD. That's sort of all I know. I don't know what I do want. Does anyone know of any formal mentorship programs I can be a part of, right? Because that was like all the rage at the time. Um, and what started happening is people writing back to me um, and saying, no, but if you find one, can you please let me know? Because that's also what I'm looking for. Um, and so I kept everybody's email addresses. And, and after about three or four months, um, I'd spoken to about 206 people. 
um, who are now on this list. And so I sent them all an email, um, everybody in BCC. And I said, okay, here's the deal. Uh, the thing does not exist. We are the thing. So if you want to stay on this list, great. I'm putting us all in a Google group listserv. If you don't, no hard feelings. Um, I'm going to send you this form, fill it out. I'm going to try and match us. We're going to near peer mentor. And wow, was that a train wreck? Um, I mean, an absolute train wreck. <laughs> um, a ton of fun, but a, a total train wreck. Um, you but have that, to start somewhere. So right, you I have like to that. start somewhere. Uh-huh. Um, and that Google group still exists today, right? That That's the Natsec Girl Squad open source listserv. It's, of course, grown quite a bit uh, over the last 10 years. Um, but that's how it started. And, you know, it's somewhat selfishly, it was me trying to figure out me. Um, and one of the, the deepest ironies um, of Natsec Girl Squad to me is that it cannot, by definition, ever be what I needed it to be. It will never be that thing for me. And it's taken me a long time to get okay with that. Um, because say more about that. What do you mean? Like it will never be what you need it to be like a, it's original mission, right? My original intention was to get some professional development, uh, program or job for myself that has never been the outcome. Instead, (laughs) um, it has built uh, and enabled an enormous number of professional development programs and learning opportunities. It has facilitated um, hiring and exploration for thousands of people. But I never got a job from Natsec Girl Squad. And it, I think, is not as a, as a total entity as opposed to individual members, right? Like the relationships I have with people that are now, you know, close friends and things like that. That's different. But I, as Maggie, can't really, and believe me, I've tried, post on the listserv or put things up on her mentality and be like, hi, I'm looking for, you know, some guidance. It freaks people out, right? That They're like, this is not like, and I think some people think it's a joke. Right. Yeah, I want to, you know, um, one of the things that I was so struck by when I first heard about Nats at Girl Squad is the name, right? And you also have a substack and forthcoming mm-hmm. book called Non-State Actress, which I'm also really psyched to talk about. But both of them are very, like, funny, light, playful names, which is usually, like, not the vibe in the mm-hmm. natural security world. And so that strikes me as something that you probably did very deliberately, to bring a little bit of humor into it. And so, mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm curious, like, A, what inspired that decision? And also, like, has how has that been received? Such a good question. Um, I don't know what inspired the decision beyond uh, much to m- my own detriment sometimes. I don't have multiple versions of myself, really. How much of myself I show is a different question. Right. And we all do that. Um, but it's called Not Set Girl Squad because that's what it is. Right. It's called Non State Actress because that's what I am. Right. It's not, um, 
my hair has been purple and pink for a very long time. And something that was pointed out to me a, a few years ago um, is that by chance, so the hex code for everything that unicorn does that has purple in it um, is pulled from my hair color because, you know, I am who I am. Um, and someone pointed out to me that the hex code for our purple is also the color, it's the same hex code for DOD's uh, color for jointness. I don't think it was, I don't know how that happened. That I don't, feels like cosmic significance somehow. <laughs> and and there are a couple of things like that, right, um, that have happened in my career so far. Um, and I am like, okay, you know, I, I, so I wish I had a better answer. As yeah. To, like, well, here's why. a follow up to that. Um, mm-hmm. And then we don't have to talk about the name anymore, but I just, I like find, I always find naming and like kind of nomenclature to be an interesting topic. To me, both names have like, have like real girl boss energy, right? And part of that I love, you know, or like, or right, like I think it's cool. I think it's unusual in this space, et cetera. Um, But I guess I wonder like how you think about balancing like that playfulness and that kind of whatever, I'm calling it girl boss energy. Maybe there's a different way to describe it. How do I make people take me seriously? Yeah, like how do you balance that with like, like sometimes I worry about, you know, like, the ways in which some of that terminology sometimes feels like it diminishes the gravity of like what women are doing in leadership positions mm-hmm. or like, if you guys remember the skim, that newsletter um, that's, that is still thriving. I always loved the voice and the tone of it, but I remember feeling a little bit um, ambivalent about like some of, some of the imagery and like iconography of like cute woman with a skim latte. And it's kind of like news for women, you know, and, and I don't know if that's changed over time. I haven't, I, you know, I haven't followed, but you know, that like, I, I have constantly felt like I've observed some of that tension and the kind of like, let's make something fun. Let's make something playful, but also like women are really serious and have lots of gravity. And like, let's give that, let's, you know, let's make space for that too. So I'm just like, how do you like think about that? How do you navigate it? I'm so curious to hear that. It's a good question. And it's one I get as maybe unsurprising all the time. Um, and I sort of have two answers to this. There's a short one and a little bit longer one. Um, and I'll give you the little bit longer one because you're asking it as opposed to telling it. Right. Um, maybe one of the, the, I'll say two things. The first is I think a lot about uh, two of my aunts. Um, they, they're sisters. Um, in some ways, they are very similar. They're also very different. And um, they both have incredibly serious careers. Uh, they're deeply accomplished women. Um, and, you know, people I look up to and respect and admire. And their names that they use professionally um, are, is like, a, um, I asked them about it once because to me, they're Debbie and Cindy and in the professional world, one Debbie is Debbie and Cindy is Cynthia. And I asked her why, 
And I was pretty young when I asked them this. Um, and I can like tell you where I was standing and the whole thing. And Cindy said, you know, Cindy is a nickname and it's diminutive. And I, I don't want to give men or anybody, you know, a chance to take me less seriously. Right. And Debbie, whose legal name is Deborah, um, said that I'm not going to let a man or anybody else dictate what it means to be taken seriously. My name is my name. And Nats at Girl Squad, um, to be clear, is not exclusively for women, right? We have, we have um, a, a quite specific mission statement about building competent diversity in national security and defense. Um, it is open to everyone who is willing to, mit- to commit to the mission statement and the code of conduct. So, um, you know, like, it's not just for girls. It's not just for women. It's not, you know, whatever. Non-state actress um, is about me. And we say the word non-state actor and nobody bats an eye. I mean, do we usually think of terrorists? Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, um, and and sometimes I almost giggle to myself before I say what I'm about to say, but I know that um, if a few things about me were different, they wouldn't, it, it, no one would bat an eye, right? Um, I have impeccable credentials. I am incredible at what I do. I'm not good at everything, but I don't do everything. Um if someone doesn't want to take me seriously, that's their problem. I'm really good at what I do. And this is who I am. Um, are there parts of me, as we talked about, that you show or don't show at work? Absolutely. Um, and I have those lines. Not everybody's entitled to every part of my life, but I'm not going to not be who I am. And if you are willing to ignore the work because you think it's not serious, that means you simply don't understand it. There is a reason that non-state actress is written and, and being written the way that it is. I don't care if a single person in Washington, D.C. or the National Security Apparatus reads my book or my substack. I'm not writing for them. They're already here. Also, like, fine. I'm writing for people, particularly women, for whom this is not a part of their everyday life that they are aware of. And the reason I am doing that is because of what we know about how important it is for women to be engaged and involved throughout society for the strength of our democratic institutions. I love that. And I so agree with that, um, making industries and parts of what you're so good at more accessible. Cause I think when you make things more accessible, I think very quickly people start to realize like, Oh, like, why didn't I engage with that? You know, we all put our all societal expectations and stereotypes onto ourselves all the time without even realizing it. And just because you're starting to dive into it, can you tell us a little bit more about this amazing book you're writing and, you know, you just touched on a little bit of like what you hope to do with it, but can you talk to us a little bit more about the content and specifically how you think it 
plugs into your journey of making defense issues more interesting, relevant, and accessible for millennial and Gen Z women in America? Yeah. So when I was in graduate school, my one of my advisors um, said I was an iceberg made of stoicism and glitter. And it's very true. Um, and I, I think like that gets into this conversation we're having. Um, I'm... It, it's a strategic choice in some ways, right? How I present and what I do um, in the sense that it's completely genuine because I don't know how to be other than what I am. And so I have to deal with the tools and the capabilities that I have and figure out how can I do the most good for the most people. And this is what I've got. And when it comes to non-state actress, um, it, it comes back to kind of that belief and what for me is ultimately sort of like the quest of my life, right? Is like, you're here for however long you're here and you should do things to make it better for people. And you should do it in a way in which it was done by you in a way that can only be done by you, right? I, I genuinely believe that everybody has something that they are supposed to do. And if they do it, it will be done specifically in a certain way, right? I don't know if this is making sense. It's like a lot of uh, non-specific words. Um, and that that's a big part of the value. And um, I think out of that belief and mission and drive for me is a equally deeply held belief that people want to care if you allow them to. And to allow someone to care, you need to make the information available to them, accessible to them. You need to do it in a way that they can hear. Um, I think this is something that for me comes from how I was brought up and I see it in all of my many, many siblings and how all of our lives have turned out. Um, and I think right now I'm at a point in my life um, and the world is, a, is at a point in its life that this is something I can lean into. Um, and so Non-State Actress is, it is a book, um, but there's also a, a digital companion to it. Um, and the point of it and my incredible agent, Jess Watterson, is going to kill me for calling it this because she's like, you're not supposed to use this comp. Apparently everyone does. It, our bodies ourselves, but for national security and defense. Um, and for those that are not familiar with our bodies ourselves, uh, the first printing came out in 1971, uh, Boston Public Health, Women's Public Health Group. And it's basically an encyclopedia of the female body, or the original version was of the female body for non-medical people. Um, and the point of the book, particularly when you look back at where, where it came out in society and history and in the feminist movement, was to make it so that women felt more empowered going to the doctors, right? That's what it was about. And the goal of, of non-state actress, and maybe Natsik Girl Squad too, but that's a separate question, um, is it will have been worth my time if I can encourage or empower or enable one woman to ask one follow-up question. Like if someone, I don't care if she's on a Tinder date, I don't care if she is like at dealing with a canvasser at her door running for Congress, if somebody says to her, we need to cut defense spending or we need to increase defense spending, 
if because of non-state actress, she says, when you say that, do you mean money we spend on national security and defense? Or do you mean the NDAA? And what specifically do you want to cut or increase? Right? Like if she or whatever her you know situation is, it will have been worth doing. So it is a book. Um, and the plan is for the physical book to have um, QR codes on the pages that you scan when you're reading about, you know, the National Security Act of 1947. And it will take you to um, a companion site that doesn't just give you an electronic copy of the document and, of course, audio of someone reading that document, because who really wants to read that? But a bunch of interviews, both podcast and video um, with experts on the thing we're talking about, links to other people who are doing incredible and important work. Um, and it is written in a way that is supposed to make sense. So you mentioned the Substack, and then I swear I will stop talking. Um, I put the Substack together because I've actually never written anything for public consumption in my life. Um, so it's kind of funny to start with a book, right? And I realized that putting it out on Substack was enabling me to get, would would enable me and very much has um, some feedback and not just on like, am I a good writer, which, you know, that's like the forever question. Um, but what do people respond to? What do they have more questions about? What is of interest to them? Um, and so recently I, I wrote about um, understanding federal law enforcement agencies particularly in their role in combating the trafficking of antiquities and antiquities trafficking as a funding mechanism for terrorism and organized criminal networks. And so I knew that was something I wanted to talk about. I thought like the Hobby Lobby story is a great in. It's um, something that a lot of women are familiar with or the women I'm trying to reach are familiar with. They're also super familiar with the fentanyl crisis, which is deeply linked to some of the networks I'm talking about. Um, and I realized in writing the first part of it and putting it out and people responded so positively that I was about to get into the nitty gritty of federal law enforcement agencies, which like usual normal human beings are not aware of what they are and what the difference is between them. So I needed to explain them. And the only and immediate way I could think of explaining them was to compare specific agencies to specific pieces of mid-century modern furniture and explain why that specific piece of furniture made sense as a as like a likeness whatever of the different federal agencies can you give us like one really quick example? Oh, yeah I'm just yeah i'm like i'm like fascinated you know, like this is why so this it is up on the Substack for those i want to see but um for example, um, HSI, Homeland Security Investigations, which is part of ICE but has nothing to do with enforcement and removal operations, completely different. Um, to me, they are very much like the Knoll's womb chair, which if I say that, people may not know what that is. But if you look at a picture of it and there's a picture on the site, you're like, oh, I've seen that chair a million places. Um, and it is like the quintessential thing when we think mid-century modern chairs. And the story behind its design was that um, <clears throat> the designer was asked um, to make a chair that she could sit in and just feel enveloped, right? It would perfectly fit her. 
And HSI perfectly does this thing that we're talking about. Um, I had way too much fun writing it. People when they that. were like, oh my God. Um, and, you know, like nobody, you normal people don't want to read like 50 pages of the history of customs and border protection. Like, I don't even want to read that, you know? So here, learn about how the FBI is basically a velvet smoking jacket. I love that. Um, one question that, you know, I uh, I think often is top of mind for a lot of people working in national security and foreign policy is whether to try to tackle these problems from inside government or outside government, right? And it seems like, I mean, you, you've done a little bit of both, but um, it seems to me like you've been particularly effective and successful on working on topics from you know, from outside an administration. And I'm, I'd love to hear whether or not you feel like you can be more sort of dynamic, provocative, push the envelope, et cetera, from outside or what, like whether that was a strategic decision, what the pros and cons have been and, and so forth. It's a great question. And it, and <clears throat> it's something I've struggled with a lot and have quite really much more recently made peace with. Um, from a from uh, a young age, there was a part of me that has always thought, if you were good enough at something, the federal government would hire you to do it, right? Um, and it's funny now, and there's a big part of me that still thinks that. Um, and very much for me, it has been, not always, but for a while, it was could I find a way to get into government, right? Because I just thought being, a there is no higher good, higher achievement than, than government service. And particularly, I think in some ways, career government service, which is not to say that I do not value or have immense respect for political appointees. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, I just personally don't have like a huge political, uh, and with a big P identity, I have very strong values and identity, but this is a separate conversation and not what you're asking me. Um, and there have been a lot of almost, and it just hasn't come together for a number of reasons. And I think over the last couple of years, especially the last year, um, I realized something that like people who know me well, um, have probably known about me since forever, which was like, that's not where I'm meant to be, at least not right now. Maybe that will change one day down the road. Um, maybe it won't. I have no idea. But, um, there are, I mean, there are pros and cons to everything. And for sure, it touches on some of my own insecurities, right? Because I have this definition of like what it, the highest form of good is, is government service. I used, I really, really believed that. Um, and I now say it in a less superlative way, meaning that the it is an extremely high good, but now maybe they don't have to be ranked. Um, but I, I often, I really struggled with like, do I have the right 
to do what I do and to be in national security without being having been a full-time government employee. Um, and a lot of friends and mentors and sponsors have, you know, all but slapped me straight across the face and been like, why are you the way that you are? Like, um, you're doing the thing. Why is that not enough? Why do you like, don't undermine yourself? Um, so I like, I don't know if I couldn't be who I am in government because I'm not in government. Right. Yeah. And I feel like probably a lot of, I guess that perspective and that take is one of the reasons why you have built founded unicorn strategies, right? You're able to sort of be authentically yourself and tackle these issues, quote unquote, from the outside. And so I'm curious, could you tell us a little bit more about some of the projects that you're working on within Unicorn? And specifically, I was really curious to learn more about Project Kalishna Kitty. And if you can speak. Sure. Yeah. So let me talk very quickly about like broadly what we do. And then I can talk about Kalishna Kitty. Um, It's so funny. No one ever asks about it. Um, So I love that you were like, I want to know about this. (laughs) So um, as I've said, like, I really love government. And that is, um, you know, as an outsider, and I acknowledge, like, if I heard from friends and my own interactions, you know, um, inefficiencies, things like that, whatever. But my love of government is because I have this like, deep love and borderline obsession with institutions, right? Like, I really believe in the value and strength and mission of, of national security institutions in particular, um, of course, in, in democratic realities. Um, they are, to me, the most important thing in the world. And I know that I want to do anything I can to strengthen them and support them. Um, and I've been really lucky that I seem to have been able to build a life in which I can do that from where I am. And that means um, because I'm really good at getting stuff done, <laughs> right, as we talked about, and I love puzzles and I love building things. Um, and I think I find meaning in things that are maybe different than other people, not better or worse, just my brain is a little bit different. Um, I can connect the pieces where people see like wastelands. I'm like, oh my God, look at all of these things we could do. Um, so Project Kalishna Kitty um, is a, an example of that. Um, and uh, it is really um, a supply, storage, and distribution line um, from the southern uh, eastern, southeastern part of the U.S. all the way up the East Coast um, into Europe, um, into Poland, and then into Ukraine. Um, because people need help. People need food. They need medical supplies. Um, and in putting that together and having built herd mentality, which is, you know, this platform, we also realize that some of the other work we've done other places is super applicable, right? Like this happens all the time, um, in Ukraine. And so for example, as a result of putting together this spot, this supply storage and distribution line, we realized we needed 
people to be like truck drivers, um, particularly in Ukraine. And they didn't just need to be truck drivers. They needed to be like truck drivers comfortable in violence. Like, what do you do, right? Um, And it turns out there are truck drivers who know how to deal with this when dealing with cartels in Mexico and Central America. Um, And having worked with some of them, we were able to use um, what we've learned from the professional development, virtual professional development, and training opportunities and micro certifications with NatSec Girl Squad via herd mentality to connect, as an example, truck drivers in Mexico who have experience with dealing with the cartels, with people who were first time truck drivers in Ukraine. Um, and that is what Project Kalishna Kitty is about. We also put a Hello Kitty sticker and everything with a Kalishna cross on it. I love that. Um, I, I just want to say one final thing, Maggie, which is, um, you know, you mentioned one or two times the fact that you have purple hair and I have to say, I so love and admire that. Um, mm. because I think it really is like you, you are like willing to break the rules of Washington and are really, um, just like a really inspiring and awesome way. And so I remember a couple of years ago, I was like working on this government commission and, um, decided to get, um, a handful of new, like, ear piercings. I would yeah. talk to Adam, Adams Morgan one day. But oh, I've been like, there so many times. <laughs> All of these are from Tattoo Paradise. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, classic, classic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember, like, for the next month and a half, I then, like, strategically, like, hid my ears behind my hair because I was yeah. like – is it cool to have like a bunch of ear piercings if you're in a government, you know, like it, it, I felt so self-conscious about it. And then I also huh. felt annoyed at myself for feeling self-conscious about it. So anyway, all of that's to say, like maybe Washington needs to loosen up more generally, but also you are maybe like doing bit. your part to make that happen. So thank you. I appreciate that. It's not always an active choice, right? It's just like, I, I, am this way. <laughs> I think that's that's great. I think that's awesome. Um, so why don't we move to our final segment um, in which we each share something that we are following right now. Um, Natalia, do you want to go first? Yes, I can definitely kick it off. Um, so I'm reading a book right now called Money and Love, and it reviews like all the hard decisions you need to make in your career and personal life as you try and build like a family with your partner. And it's specifically really interesting for me because all the vignettes about dual income partners who have jobs on like the West or East Coast cities, like we're so, um, we're so pruned to be like, oh, you know, we, if you go to certain schools and then you end up on in certain cities, you need to stay there. And all of these stories are about these couples that have made jumps to other parts of the country and, mm-hmm the initial discomfort that comes with that, but then how worth it it was for the rest of their lives, their careers, the quality of life they could give their family. And it's just really inspiring to think like, oh, like, do I need to live in a big major city for the rest of my life? And is that truly what's going to make me happy? So just going through a lot of those. Uh, Maggie, what are you following? That's, I have to say, that's like a great thing to be following, right? Like, do we all have to live the way other people live in order to be happy? Um, and as someone who has like really 
worked to get okay with realizing like, no, (laughs) even if I wanted to, I couldn't. And whenever I try, it gets very bad. So in that line, the thing that I'm following and I'm always following is Antiques Roadshow, specifically the BBC version. There are 43 seasons. I cannot tell you, like, first of all, amazing. So good. All the time. So good. Um, And I'm working very hard and I'm going to put it in this podcast right now because I know that she is a foreign policy next gen fellow. Um, My dear friend, Amy Schneck, I am trying to convince her that we should bring the Antiques Roadshow BBC team from the UK to Washington, D.C. so that we can all meet them. Um, And as part of that mini Maggie campaign, I am working my way through every single episode of Antiques Roadshow. Um, And it is the most joyful experience of my life. Now it makes a lot more sense that you were thinking of government agencies in terms of mid-century modern furniture. I like am the way that I, I mean, yeah, our whole <laughs> house is mid-century modern. I like, I love uh, it. Yeah, big into tiki over here, you know. So great. Um, so I have been following uh, these reports that have been surfacing of orca whales that have been engaging in pretty strange behavior in which they seem to be attacking or ramming into boats and sailboats and yachts. Um, There's a lot of uncertainty about the intent behind these attacks. Is it playful behavior? Is it, uh, is it aggression? But, uh, but it's, it's considered pretty unusual among orca whales and really started to pick up in, uh, in 2020. But even in the last couple of weeks, uh, there have been more and more reports um, of this sort of behavior. So it's a bizarre uh, phenomenon in the animal world uh, that I am going to continue to follow. But uh, with that, uh, thank you for joining us. Next in Foreign Policy is produced in cooperation with Foreign Policy for America's Next Gen Initiative and is a proud member of the DSR Network. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so that more people can find the show. You can follow me online at Z Weinberg, Natalia at Natalia Tucker, and Maggie at Maggie Caroline One. You can also subscribe to Non-State Actress on Substack. If you're a foreign policy expert under 40 and want to be featured on the show, be sure to follow the link in the show notes. And with that, please join us in two weeks to hear more about what's next in foreign policy. Mm-hmm.